I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. And this is episode 36 of Fried Squirms, your horror podcast, our horror podcast. We're here to talk about another movie. Oh, I'm super stoked about this one. This one's going to be Candyman. I mean, we'll just get to it. It's Candyman. Yeah. I guess aside from the fact that we're covering Candyman, man, we've had some pretty interesting kind of shit going on around here in terms of... Uh, uh, some forest fires looks all apocalyptic and then we had the eclipse today if i wasn't always just like down in town where you don't get really good angles on it like all it looks like is smoke but maybe one of these nights i'll try to get like up on the hill and get like good picture of how apocalyptic it looks because it's pretty fucking nuts shit just south of us is way on fire like what, super like twenty thousand something yeah. acres some crazy shit and like only like seven percent contained right now so unbelievable yeah so we're so kind if my throat feel, like if my voice sounds cashed out, it's because that's all we've been breathing for like the past yeah. two or three weeks. Pretty easy. So that ain't the only smoke we have to contend with, right? Yeah, God. I mean, I put enough smoke in my fucking lungs. Jesus. Well, and did you also? I mean, this is a horror podcast, and we cover like a lot of like crazy shit that goes on. Well, I mean, like in these movies, like a lot of crazy shit goes on. Did you hear about the fucking double homicide? No, I just did happened not. here in town. I don't know all the details, so I'm not going to lay it all out. Like, you can look it up, pretty much put it out there that we live in Missoula. So, yeah, like, you out there in the world, you can look up Double Homicide Missoula. But, like, this, I think a 23 and a 26-year-old, this guy and this gal, like, invited some people over and brought them down to their basement and fucking just, like, attacked him and, like, killed and stabbed the girl to death or something. And when, when the guy tried to run, they attacked and killed him, too. And they had a roommate and heard the screams and came out and, like, saw the blood and shit. And they said that they killed somebody. I, I don't know. Like, wow. all I know is, like, eventually the police were called, obviously, and sicked on that location. And when the police got there, like, dude had a gun, but he, like, he wasn't, like, trying to, like, a standoff or anything. He, he like, was complying and shit. And Jesus they did find, like, one other hidden, like, gun in the residence. But they also found downstairs where they were stabbed to death for sure. I think they were hacked up more with, like, an axe because he had just went out and got some chemicals and had started to, like, try to dissolve the bodies Jeez, already. Man. Damn, yo. More details are still breaking and shit, but I was just reading that this morning. Like, just just happened up the road, so. Wow. And, you know, I think it was a couple people that were suspected missing for the past few days, but they haven't confirmed it yet. highly uncommon here. Yeah. Something of that nature. I mean, that's something, hate to say, but that's something more likely to happen in my hometown. I mean, that's just bare details. I forgot to bring up the story, actually, in front of me and shit. Well, that'll be some interesting... um, you know, stories to tell down the road. Yeah, quite possibly. Once the facts come to light, we'll find out. So let's go from, you know, gory <laughs> killing into gory Candy killing. Man. Yeah, Candyman. Number 36. Fucking, yeah, 36. Guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. Here we are. Guts and boltsing. We're all over the guts and bolts. Our 36th film. Dude, this is kind of guts and bolts because there's not a lot of scenes of gore in this movie, but the ones that are there are really well done. And as part of his hook, there's like a bolt. Yeah, I mean, it's, so, it's, that's bolts. an interesting tell within itself. And they get gutted. Yeah. Not so. to get too spoilery already, but people get gutted. This fucking slasher movie. Yeah, so, it's I mean, awesome. Guts and Bolts wise, this is a movie we've been talking about doing a long time. Yeah. To get into the guts and bolts of this show. And I think, too, this is probably one of those films for probably both of us at a certain age we got introduced to it and more than likely it was an early age for us the time of uh vhs rentals 
Right. Yeah, guts and bolts of this show, we almost covered this one in our run on slashers because Came this has close. another. This would have been right in between Chucky and Scream. Scream. Yeah, it would have been perfectly right in the middle of it. Because this is another supernatural slasher. You're not completely bound by the realm of the physical as we have been in a few of the other movies we've done recently. Though this, I don't know, this movie's weird. We'll get into that a little bit more later. Yeah, we'll delve into that in the next section. But came out in 92, so it would split the difference between Child's Play and Scream, like you were, or we were alluding to. This one has a very, very gothic feel in an interesting way it's told because it's setting more in the urban setting as opposed to like a suburb, you know, this is like right in the city. So, I mean, guts and bolts wise, what goes into this movie, there's a few things to get excited about, I think. We have the involvement of Clive Barker. Clive Barker's, uh, we were kind of speaking about this, you know, throughout the week, but it was the fifth volume of his series. Uh, of the Books of Blood, right. which I don't have. Yeah, so um, it came out, like I said, in the fifth volume. Yeah, I've read a lot of the, the Books of Blood, stories. but I haven't read The Forbidden, which this was based off of. Partially throughout the week, I did read it. I got it in the PDF format. and I got to read maybe about half of the story. And there's a lot of similarities between the two in terms of the film and the novella. But it's, it's really good. And the reason being, because I give a lot of props to the director in this film. Bernard Rose, of, yeah, right? Bernard Rose. Wait, we, I want to say real quick while okay, we're on yeah. Clive Barker. Um, we should stay on him for a moment. Yeah, we should stay on Clive Barker for a moment because this guy's just a master of horror. Uh, yeah, we've talked about is, him a little bit before yeah, in I was about our to say. Hellbound episode, but that was a long time ago. That was quite a while back. If you haven't been following the show this long, you can always go back and listen to what we say about him there. However, I mean, this is a great time to repoint out just all the amazing things this guy has done. Oh my gosh, this guy's got an awesome catalog. I mean, movie-wise, you got Hellraiser series and Candyman is what's going to immediately jump to a lot of people. Yeah, and those are two awesome franchises. He's had, I mean, a lot of things, I believe, adapted to movies. I want to say Rawhead Rex. Yeah, that is definitely one of them. Midnight Meat Train. Yes. Was Nightbreed based on a novella? I can't remember. I th- I want to say yeah. I can't but be one hundred percent. Fantastic movie. I remember that because that was a uh, another one that came out in the the early nineties, I believe, or maybe late eighties. But uh, it was one I remember as a child. I actually, I've played through one of his video games, Clive Barker's Jericho. Okay. It's fantastic. There's another film I'll mention real briefly because I'm a huge Scott Bakula fan for reasons being Quantum Leap. Is he wrote Lord of Illusions, you know, oh. got adapted into the film. So that was another interesting one, kind of mid-90s film. But you're right. I mean, a lot of his work does get turned into film and for very good reasons. Yeah, I mean, for very good reasons. Dudes writes a lot of crazy fucked up shit. I've read some of the books of blood, just not the one with... Yeah, and uh, it probably helped to note, too, maybe for those who are interested, Clive Barker is from Liverpool, England, in the United Kingdom. So a lot of his tales are set there, not necessarily, you know, when they translate into film. <laughs> They're not necessarily shot in Liverpool, Candyman being no exception, because it's shot in Chicago. Should we mention where it's shot in Chicago? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 kind, of, it's kind of important. But, but no, it's super important, not only to uh, to the setting, location, but to the tale itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's set in a ghetto, I think in the northern part of Chicago, a place called Cabrini Green. The infamous yeah, Cabrini Green. Yeah, super Green. infamous. And the reasons being because a lot of people deemed it like being, you know, one of the worst parts of Chicago. And cops just didn't want to patrol the area. It was left up to gangs, mainly. 
I watched the Gangland episode on Cabrini Green at one point, and I meant to rewatch it before we recorded this. Yeah, I didn't watch it. <laughs> but, I mean, I've been lazy all weekend. Just sitting around a, doing a lot of drugs, so. A yeah. really interesting tell about, like, how all that stuff kind of started a little bit. I watched a couple of making ofs, and one of the people, I think working at, might have been Vox, they kind of did like a retrospective. But anyhow, Mayor Daly of Chicago, I'm, I'm guessing was probably in the 60s, maybe mm-hmm. 50s, 60s. They were building urban housing. They were getting federally funded. And they built Cabrini Green and some really nice places that, unfortunately for the residents, you know, the low-income residents, the mayor deemed these places to be too nice for these people. Instead, he sold them to wealthy white families. So a lot of those places, and that, that kind of alludes to where our main actress, main character in this film, lives. She makes some parallels to that. And oh, it yeah. actually has some factual basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't want to get too much into that, but there's some really interesting stuff, not only, like I said, in uh, you know in the story, but just, like I said, the location, Cabrini being very rough, and it doesn't exist anymore. They knocked it down since. Other reasons to get excited about this? Oh, we mentioned the director. Yeah, Barnett Rhodes. Um, I want to make a mention real quick of something that I thought was really interesting, yeah. is the fact that he did a lot of music videos in the 80s for bands like UB40, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. He did, uh, I think, a couple of videos maybe for Roy Orbson and definitely Roger Waters of Pink Floyd fame. And, you know, his solo work was amazing, too. But he was known for that. And then he did a project called Paper House that helped promote him being in as director of this adaptation. And this and probably Immortal Beloved is what he's best known for. I would have totally agree with uh, that. Beethoven's story, if I remember right. Yeah, it had some uh, a well-known cast in it as well. I've never seen it myself. I haven't no. either. I'm not very familiar with it. It would have been during a time period. I probably wouldn't have watched it on anyhow. Now, cast member-wise, who gets me most excited? <laughs> and the titular Candyman. Fucking Tony Todd's in this movie. Tony Todd is so awesome, dude. When you think of him, too, he's an imposing figure. He's known for doing Shakespeare work, so he also carries an air of uh, aristocracy. His voice is very deep. How's that? I was going to say, I, I've always known him for his voice. Yeah, I love it. God damn it. This would have been probably the first place I ever ran into Tony Todd. I would and, probably think the same. I can't think of anything prior to this. Most definitely after, but not anything prior, I don't believe. I mean, he did a lot of TV work back in his early career and stuff, and it has continued to do voice work. But more recent audiences, like bigger name things he did, numbers-wise, it's obvious a lot of people go to see the Transformers movies. Oh, yeah. So Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, he was the Fallen. Damn. I'm guilty of not seeing that, but that's a huge franchise. He was in the television series uh, 24, so those who like Kiefer Sutherland and keep up with television series, he was in that. He was in the X-Files. Well, and then... The Final Destination series. Second season of The Flash. Oh, yeah. It's well known that I got down on the CW, you know, DC shows. Second season of The Flash, he was the voice for Zoom. There are two films, I'm thinking that... it was awesome. Oh, it was awesome. I probably would have seen Tony Todd in, but maybe not have recognized him. He was in Platoon. Okay. And he was also in the 1990... Oh, he was in that, but he was also in the 1990 Night of the Living Dead... Who oh, also yeah. starred Tom Tolles in Henry, which we did just a few episodes ago. So being that this is a Chicago film, this also pays ode to the fact that there are a lot of Chicago natives involved in this project. I mean, I get down on some video game RPGs and shit, too. Fucking, he was the narrator in Legend of Dragoon. I never played that. I loved me some Legend of Dragoon. I remember going... 
God, I think the first place I ever played it was like over in Idaho, like <laughs> Damn. with with a buddy of mine. We'd we'd get down on some Tenshu and some Legend of Dragoon. And we'd go visit his family over there. And nice man. It was a long ass game, so I never really got to finish it because I'd only get to play it when we'd I'd be with my friend visiting so his to, family. Eat it up. We'd be getting down on that shit. And nice man. Eventually later on, like I had a roommate that had it, but. By then, I had, like, a life and had to, you know, make rent and yeah, shit. So. I, life gets in the way of having a good time sometimes, man. But, uh, yeah, Tony Todd is, like I said, well-known figure throughout comic book franchises, horror, horror films. He was in a Masters of Horror episode. Yes, he was, man. The Beast. Yeah. Well, um, he was in, he was the Beast in, uh, what was it, Valerie? Something like that? I'd have to look. Valerie on the Stairs. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole Masters of Horror franchise was really cool, man. At least the two seasons that I got to watch. Probably also really known within some other circles as uh, being on Star Trek. Yeah. As Worf's brother, Kern. (laughs) Oh, he was... I'd probably be miss if I don't mention that he was in The Crow as well. Oh, that's right. That's a huge fucking franchise, Dude, I love The Crow, too. Yeah. So we'll have to definitely mention that. Yeah. I I mean, within 15 foot of you, you have the comic and the DVD, so... Yeah, man. I'm I'm within stumbling distance. Uh, yeah, I love me some crow. No, Tony Todd's great. This would have been the first time I ever encountered him. We also have Virginia Madsen, though. Oh, man, I'm glad she was in this. You want to know an interesting tale, too, that gets back to us another way? And okay. it seems to happen a lot because of this gentleman. But she was in Dune, and David Lynch had found her. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where she got her introduction. And from that point, she kind of got a little bit cast tight, you know, as the sultry blonde, for okay. obvious reasons, but... This was one of the first films where she actually got to show off her dynamic in terms of, like, leading a film as opposed to just being the eye candy. Yeah. Yeah, so she did a great job. I read an interesting fact that her brother is Michael Madsen, which some of our our listeners are probably more familiar with. But uh, apparently he doesn't like to watch any films with his sister that has nude scenes, and I can't blame him for that fact. So he didn't like watching this movie? I would not imagine. (laughs) Yeah, he probably hasn't seen this. See, I think I would have first encountered her in The Worst Highlander. Oh, yeah. Highlander 2, The Quickening. (laughs) Yeah, she was in some interesting films. She was uh, more recently involved in The Haunting in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, some people are probably familiar with her in that project. Ghost of Mississippi. Yeah, the number 23. Yeah, with uh, Jim Carrey. But then, I mean, like you said, Dune. Yeah, Prophecy is another one. And, I mean, uh, Dune's huge. Yeah, Dune's watch Dune. super huge. Like I said, that gets back to David Lynch, and David Lynch being here from Zootown gets back to us. So yeah, and she then, plays Helen Lyle, which I think the names change a little bit between the novella and the film adaptation. Now, the next... Cassie oh, Lemon, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I think her Lemons? name is Cassie Lemons. Yeah. Cossie she plays uh, Bernadette, Lemons. Bernie Walsh, yeah. She played in some interesting things. She was the... I had her right in front of me. And I was she was a sidekick that. in The Silence of the Lambs. This film, she played in School Days. She was in Gridlocked. She was in Vampire's Kiss. Yeah, she was uh, more, I guess, more recently involved with the soap opera As the World Turns. What I will absolutely always 100% love her for is a movie that I feel like not enough people have seen and she directed called The Caveman's Valentine. Oh, I definitely don't remember Starring <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson okay. as, like, a schizophrenic genius in New York. Oh, that's interesting. And it's a weird, like, murder mystery. And I love that movie. Yeah. It's it's kind of weird and over-the-top at times, but it's fucking fantastic. Now, sometimes those hidden gems are I see so you, good. Stiverson. 
I see you. Oh my I god. I can check that out. Man. No, yeah, schizophrenic that. homeless man trying to solve a murder huh. mystery. What's the name of it again? The Caveman's Valentine. Okay, Caveman's Valentine. I have to remember that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so that's Kazi Lemons, who plays Bernadette, like we were saying. The next actor I would probably give credit to would be Xander Berkeley, who plays Trevor Lyle, who would be the, I don't know if you would say the husband or the, the partner oh, I, of Virginia there, Madsen in this film. There's one other weird thing that I want to mention, because her husband's actually a really famous actor. <laughs> Kazi Lemons' husband oh. is uh, Vondi Curtis Hall, who, well, he wrote and directed Gridlocked, first off. Okay. That would make sense why she was involved with that project. Uh, but he was uh, Dr. Hancock on Chicago Hope. And recently, he was in the first season of Daredevil as oh, Ben cool. Urich. Here, I'm, I'm going to bring up a picture of him because you're going to be like, oh, fuck, that uh, guy. Oh, this guy. I think I remember reading a little bit about that, but didn't pay uh, much Vondi Curtis it. Hall is fantastic. Um, that guy. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Damn, I had no idea. He's in Die Hard 2, Broken Arrow, Romeo and Romeo Juliet. And Juliet. Captain Prince. Yeah. He's great. She's great. Anyway, now we can move on. Sorry. Oh, man, dude. Yeah, I'm just kind of looking a little bit over his work. He did some pretty cool shit. And like I said, like, Gridlocked is a great movie, and he wrote and directed that, so. That's really cool. I had no idea. Good for them, man. That's cool. Yeah, good for all of them, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, I was, I was mentioning Xander Berkeley. He did some pretty cool projects, too. He worked on Terminator 2, Judgment's Day. A Few Good Men, Poison Ivy 2, for those who like that kind of thing. I believe the show Gargoyles, the animated show. He worked on Air Force One. Here's another actor who worked on Ah, uh, Real Monsters. Gattaca. Gattaca. He was in Shanghai Noon. Leaving Las Vegas. And for my nephews, Teen Titans. Right. Look at his list. As far as like that sort of thing goes, too, Like Tony Todd's done a bunch of different oh, man, like yeah. animated DC work and stuff. I know that he was on Brave and the Bold. I know they did a voice on Young Justice. I think a voice awesome, on like, Justice League Unlimited, I think. So chances are like maybe your kids have heard him. Maybe you heard him if you're into all of that. I mean, I watched Brave and the Bold and Young Justice myself. Never did get down on Unlimited yet. But, but you're more than likely have heard the voice before. It's recognizable once you hear mm-hmm. it. So yeah, Xander Berkeley plays Trevor Lyle. Our next actress I'll mention is Vanessa Williams. She plays Anne-Marie McCoy in this film. She's a tenant of Cabrini Green in this film with a child and a dog. Oh, her. Okay. No, Sorry, I didn't. I forgot to look her up. She was so. in some pretty cool stuff because I did mention this. Um, you know, sometimes you, you look through and you're like, oh, she might not be known for this particular film, but she might be known for her work in New Jack City. She was on the OG Melrose Place. She played in the Soul Food TV series. She was in The Flash as Francine West, and she does work on Days of Her Lives. So there's another soap opera actress. I see who you're looking at, so I'll mention him real quick. I know. I was going to say, there's one person who, Ted fucking, Ramey, man. who stood out to me yeah. very weirdly at the beginning of this movie. He's like in a montage sequence, I suppose. Yeah, you might as well call it just like a cameo. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what he is. He's a cameo. He plays Billy, if that matters. But but he sticks out like a fucking sore thumb in this movie. Especially I mean, it's just after like, you know who he is. Yeah, I was like, fucking Ted Raimi? What the like, hell? What? what are you doing in here, Ted? <laughs> but he is known as Sam Raimi's brother. And, I mean, he's done a shit ton of I things. Mean, yeah. like the, the, you, you were saying the uh, Midnight Train, or is it? Midnight Meat Train. Yeah, he's yeah. in the, boom, Twin Peaks, which gets back to us once again. Right, uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead. 
Yeah. Spider-Man Drag 3. Drag Me to Hell, The Grudge, Spider-Man All sorts 3. of shit. Yeah. I, yeah, mean, I mean, he works on a lot of things with his brother. He also works on a lot of things because he's pretty fantastic himself. Yeah, he plays, what they call those, the uh, Shumps and the Evil Dead. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. Like, they used the term. Uh, there's a few others I'll mention real briefly. Actually, one other I do want to mention is... Michael Culkin he plays Professor Philip Purcell in this film. Right? He doesn't have a huge part in this film outside of being a professor. And he does continue his role in Candyman, the sequence Farewell to the Flesh. He was in The Fifth Element, the film Lolita, The Hours, and Downton Abbey as Archbishop of York. So those who watch that might be familiar with him as that role. You know, I've only ever heard good things about that show. I, I intend to start it at some point, yeah. but I, I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, there was one. But I actually, I'm going to at some point. I'm going to watch Downton Abbey because I've only like, and from people who I, I wouldn't think would be into it either. Yeah, I mean, if it has a good story, there, I mean, you can't knock it. Yeah. There's one other person I want to mention. He doesn't have a major role. It plays Doctor Burke. There's a scene with him and uh, oh, and okay. Virginia Madsen. And it involves our main actor, Tony Todd. Uh, the person I wanted to mention is Stanley DeSantis. He plays Dr. Burke. Um, he had some pretty interesting credits when I looked at him. Because, like I said, he wasn't a major actor in this film. But I was like, huh, you know, there's a reason he got cast. But uh, he did some pretty interesting work. Let me see if I can pull it up. Yeah, he worked in uh, Boogie Nights. He was Buck's manager. He was in The Aviator as uh, Louis B. Mayer. He was in the film... I Am Sam as Robert. He was in Rush Hour. He plays in some pretty well-known things. You might not recognize him, but I wanted to make some note, at least, for his portrayal in this. Oh, yeah. Oh, so a synopsis of this movie, I guess. If you, We should probably lead with the synopsis at some point, one of these days. Yeah. But I guess yeah. if you don't know what the fuck High Candyman is, we mentioned it's a supernatural slasher. I guess it's like... I would best surmise it probably as a... Uh, two graduate students are researching an urban legend based off of a character that's been possibly murdering people in Cabrini-Green, which we mentioned the ghetto in Chicago, and they're wanting to write a thesis paper about this. And little do they know that this urban legend might not be just a legend. Yeah, I was going to say it's it's Freddy meets Bloody Mary in the projects. Damn, that's a good one. I like that. That's a good way of looking at that. So that's our synopsis. I do, before we want to get into like what to expect i didn't want to mention brief you know because we go through this stuff it's my nerdy side we did mention the director and writer oh yeah, Rose, yeah clive barker cinematographer is anthony b richmond people will recognize his work because he was a cinematographer for one of my favorite preteen films the sandlot love that film he did work on men of honor legally blonde and since we're talking about ghettos tales from the hood he worked on first kid one of your favorites ravenous I love Ryan And he Lewis. did a lot of work on Disney. Uh, I also love Legally Blonde. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Reese, Reese Weatherspoon does a really good job in that. It's a funny film. Yeah. I mean, it's really funny. But yeah, he's known for a lot of that. And I was like, I have to at least give that credit because Sandlot, for no other reason, I would give him credit for Sandlot. Oh, and Sandlot. Fuck for me. Forever. Forever. And everybody knows you're Four killing me, Smalls. So there's your two references if you don't get it. Editor, because I do like to give credit to editors, is Dan Ray. He worked on a TV adaptation of the film Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He's known for his work on a series that we mention a lot. We probably never ever get to it because it is sci-fi, mostly, is Doctor Who. So he worked on Doctor Who during Day of the Daleks, the 1972 like miniseries. Okay. And he reprised that with the resurrection, uh, resurrection of the Daleks in 1984. So he's known for doing work with the Daleks and Doctor Who. 
He also God. worked on Immortal Blood, uh, Beloved, which you had mentioned earlier, and Ravenous, and the movie Hush. Hmm. So those are some film projects I wanted to mention. Hush. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, this is a major one. I would feel like a total prick if I didn't mention this guy, because this is a huge name, whether you're familiar with him or not. But the music composed in this film is done by Philip Glass. And Philip Glass is known for his orchestral work in a lot of very prominent films. And the director, I was mentioning Bernard Rose, he liked his work mostly, and there was two films that he helped compose the music for, and this is being Philip Glass I'm speaking of. Rose loved Philip Glass's work on the film Mishimi and the film Koyana Skatsi. And Koyana Skatsi is a documentary, and the word itself is really interesting. It's a Hopi word, Hopi Indian word, for life out of balance. And so he's known for composing this really beautiful music. A really interesting tale before I nerd out too much is one of our producers on the film, Alan Poole, is actual friends with Philip Glass. And Bernard Rose hmm. is like, well, call him up. And so he agreed after seeing kind of like a real brief editing of the film, Candyman, Okay. And anyhow, he composed the music. He said he wanted to, to kind of have this flow to it, have this gothic feel, but only be composed in piano, organ, and voice. So when you listen to the soundtrack, you won't hear any other orchestral music or uh, accompanying pieces. You'll just hear those three dimensions in terms of the music. But he wasn't pleased with after the film came out because he's like, oh my gosh, I, I composed music for a horror film. I, w- I didn't think mm-hmm. it was going to be a horror film. And it took a while before they actually got the license to release the music on film. It was like in the early 2000s before they could Hmm. do that. Yeah. So anyhow, my nerding out on Philip Glasses, like I said, people are probably, they know him for his orchestral work. And he's he's a master in that field. And did the music for The Truman Show. There you go. Like I said, if you start looking at his credits, it'll blow your fucking mind. That's why I was like, you know, if you're interested, just check them out. Just, re- just look at his credits. Yeah. But, uh, speaking of producers, Clive Berker, Steve Gollin, which he was one of the co-founders and I think CEOs of Propaganda Films, which they did a lot of music videos. And I learned by researching them at one time, Propaganda Productions, they were responsible for one third of all music videos made in the United States. Wow. Yeah. So it was really cool. If you look at some of their films, too, they've got a laundry list of some really cool stuff they put out in terms of film. I did mention Alan Poole. People might know him for his work on the show Six Feet Under. Had a huge hand in that show, which was one of my favorite shows. And another gentleman, uh, an Icelandic gentleman, is uh, Sigurdjian Savatsen, which I think he worked with Propaganda Films as well. So that company had a huge hand and getting this film developed. Speaking of production companies, I did mention Propaganda Films and Polygrammed Filmed Entertainment were our production companies distributed by TriStar Pictures and Polygram Filmed Entertainment. The release date, this first appeared at Toronto International Film Festival September 11th, never forget. Never 1992. forget. 92. September 11th, 92. Never forget. Yep. Don't forget. Candyman. And it premiered here in the States. It's Candyman Day. Never forget. Never forget Candyman Day, 92. October 16th, 1992, here in the States. Again, Never forget. Premier. Never forget. September 11th, <laughs> 92. And March 19th, 1993, in the United Kingdom. So in Europe, it got its premiere March 19th. Never forget. Never forget. The budget for this film ran between 6 to $8 million, United States. Never and forget. Never forget that it grossed a little over... 
almost twenty six million dollars. Nice here in so, the states, which is why, of course, it got a sequel. And oh, it, it did so well that it got Couple. two films, which were yeah, yeah, not as good. Nah, they were entertaining. I'm pretty sure I seen the second one. Tyler, you know one of my favorite things about this show? Taglines. You know I love my taglines. Does it have taglines? It has because I know that we had quite a few that didn't have taglines for a bit. Yeah, and there was the, there was a previous couple, probably previous films I mentioned that I was going to mention some other the taglines, but they must have been so shitty that I forgot to mention them. <laughs> So when I go back and listen, I was like, oh, yeah, I was supposed to mention other taglines, but I, I totally spaced. But uh, this one that I chose, there's others that I see you looking at. But the one that I liked was, we dare you to say his name five times. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at all four of the taglines. Maybe you should mention the other they're, ones. They're yeah, not my favorite overall. Oh, it's okay. From the chilling imagination of Clive Barker, of yeah, course. Yeah, we knew that. Uh, Candyman, 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 dot, dot, dot. Don't Ooh. say again. Don't you say it, boy. And I guess my favorite is probably the you don't have to believe, just beware. And that's good. That's fitting for this film, too. Uh, so that gives us our cast and crew, right? And so just beware that this movie has a bit of language, a little bit of nudity. Yep. It's built as brief nudity. It's a little bit more than brief. Yeah, I'd say it's adult content-wise. There's some, But there's some, no, like, sex scenes. It's just No sex scenes. Just some boobs. A little sexy, sexy scenes, but no... And there's not some there's not there's some blood and gore. There's some blood and gore and it's pretty good, but there's not there's not a lot of it. It's just done really well when there is. No. I think really, more than anything, I think the score in this film builds the tension and that's I think where most of the dread and, and fear comes from is some of that tension that it gives. Mm-hmm. The gore is pretty good though. I guess it's tasteful. I'm trying to think about how much there really is. I don't know. There's not, not a as lot, much but as your well average done. slasher, but a little bit more than a non-slash. Yeah, so we gave a, um, a brief synopsis of the film. I'm ready to just talk about how it made yeah, me squeal. I'm, I don't know about I'm you. ready to geek out on the uh, yeah, squealing section. Squeal, squeal. How does that make you squeal? Damn, that was a hell of a break. Yeah, we took a little bit of a break. <laughs> you all are should be glad right now that you're not listening in real time because I think this is like actually an hour later that we're finally squealing. We got to nerd out a little bit in between our uh, segments. It's okay though. We're still ready to sit here and talk to you about motherfucking candy man. Oh my gosh, dude. I am super excited for the fact that we are covering this film and we've talked it up a good bit over the course of our uh, podcast. So over, well, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, to each other as well. Because, like I said, oh, we've yeah, been no discussing doubt. doing this one for quite a bit now. Yeah, it was just a matter of time, and now it's come to fruition. So, earlier you mentioned, like, you, you felt like this movie probably came at a certain time period for us. It's absolutely true for me. I mentioned back when we were doing Slashers, like, Child's Play was kind of the first one that really scared me and shit, that I really remember really vividly. And even though I didn't actually see it till later... Go listen to that episode if you want to know the full story. Yeah, check it out. Um, but Chucky scared the shit out of me, but I never even saw him. Not- Dude, that's one of my favorite stories that you've told. Your story about Chucky. The next one, though, that scared the shit out of me, and I did see him, fucking Candyman. In my synopsis, I said Bloody Mary meets Freddy. I knew Candyman before Bloody Mary. I knew Bloody Mary before I knew Candyman. But this movie came out in what ninety two. Yeah. So I was I was five. Yeah. So you so, were young. So it was coming. It was competing right at the exact same time. Like right when those stories were coming into my frame. Yeah. When people are like, okay, he's just now old enough. You can throw slightly, you know, ghost stories. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Just little spooky stories. A little bit of spooky. Bloody Mary, Candyman, Candyman one out. 
I, I knew Candyman before Bloody Mary. Oh, that's interesting. And so this movie kind of, that's a little bit special to me. The other thing that scared the shit out of me is one of my first memories is being stung on the neck by a goddamn bee. Oh, you know, that'd be an interesting story about a bee. Today. So, fucking Candyman, like, I remember seeing, like, the VHS with the bee crawling across the eye. Yeah. I realized there was a lot of this movie I didn't really remember too well, because it's been a while since I've actually seen it. But the I parts agree. that always stood out to me were skipping ahead to the very end, when he opens up and it's the fucking bees, and then the mouthful of bee kiss. I'll never forget that. That's always been emblazoned. Yeah, it's a standout. It's a standout moment. For sure. You know, we're talking about bees because today, you know, we had the eclipse. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, this is eclipse day. Did we mention that? Yeah, I think we briefly mentioned that at the beginning. Yeah, anyhow, I took out some, some trash and I made my little, I showed you my little ghetto cereal box, right? Mm-hmm. And anyway, I was out there and I went back inside and I was looking at some notes, you know, things like that. And anyhow, I felt a little crawl on my neck. I was like, what the heck? I reached and there was a little drone bee. I was okay, like, oh, yeah. so anyhow, I captured them. And then I brought him back Ate outside. Him, like Renfield? <laughs> yeah. Master! <laughs> anyway, no, I let him back out, you know. I was safe. It was safe. Everything was safe. Finished my viewing of the eclipse through the box I made, thanks to a weatherman in North Carolina. But, uh, yeah, man, it was just, it's coincidental, maybe, ironic, that there's bees, and I had a bee on me today. Well, you were, over here, you were over here the other day, and we had to take care of a yeah, bee. Yeah, you're right. Because our little mascot, T-Call was all about just oh, ripping he was my place hyper apart focused to on it. that bee. So. Yeah, we've had quite a few encounters with bees outside of this movie. Fuck. God damn this movie. I, I'm not even sure. Oh, where to you're start talking about, about the time it. period. Like, okay, so I was thinking that too. But the time period when we could rent this video was probably around early ninety three, I would imagine, because this film came out in the theaters in late well, middle October of nineteen ninety two here in the States. Long story short, I remember our family renting this and I didn't fully understand it. Like, I understood the concept of, like, the Bloody Mary and, and the mm-hmm. mirror and all that good stuff. But I think it was a little too mature for me, like, some of the content and some of the dialogue. And But uh, I do remember scenes like you were talking about with the bees and, you know, the score. And it just being a really creepy film. You know, honestly, like, looking back at it, that's mostly what I remembered was just the straight-ahead slasher aspect. What caught me by surprise when I was rewatching it for the show was the part where he sets her up beforehand. He totally does. I guess to go through, I mean, yeah, maybe we the first part of the movie is pretty simple. Proper. Like, chick, what's her, uh, Virginia Madsen. Yeah, is, her character is uh, Helen Lyle. Helen's a post-grad student working on... She's urban, working on her thesis with Urban Legends, Urban right? Legends. The interesting thing I found out about this, and, you know, doing a little research on this movie in, in particular, is when you look at the characters that she and her friend Bernadette mm-hmm. interview, right, at the beginning of the film... It's always like secondhand accounts. It's never firsthand accounts of these legends or urban myths, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, I heard it from my friend, blah, blah, blah. Or I saw it on the news or heard it in a newspaper. It's always secondhand accounts that they're getting this information from. So, you know, we have to keep that a little bit in mind going into this film about urban legends in general. And she's following a lead on one called Candyman, who's the supernatural boogeyman that's summoned by looking in the mirror and saying his name five times. Right, and this is where we get our introduction of our cameo appearance of Ted Raimi. Oh, yeah, and they do a little flashback and yeah. show... They don't show all of it happening, but you get, no, you but get you the get play the general out of the idea. scene and you know what happened. That's one of the accounts that sets up the movie. You get how he kills, starting down at the balls, ripping up. Up to the gullet. Up. 
got none. I do like how the opening of the movie, you have that scored by Philip Glass, and you get that overhead shot of the Chicago traffic, and then you get the bees, and then you hear Tony Todd's voice, and he's giving you his introduction. I really like that. God. What's blood for if not for shedding? I can't remember. How early on do they actually tell the story of Candyman? It goes, I think the full story goes in into where she, when I say the she, The full story is with the... The doctor, the professor. The, yeah, at the, the dinner, a prick. A little pompous. A yeah. little pompous. That's when you get the full story. But the first time you hear about him being Candyman, I mean, he's at the beginning of the movie, essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get the opening interlude of his voiceover. And then you get the scene of Helen interviewing this female student. And she tells the story of Candyman in the mirror. And that's where you see Ted Raimi and that chick. And the beginning of the movie also very quickly sets up that her husband's probably being unfaithful to her. Yeah, because she goes in on a lecture that he's giving. Spoiler, he is. Yeah, he, he definitely is. But he's giving lectures about urban legends. And after that, she goes down there and, you know, she gives him a kiss, blah, blah, blah. This is the missus, the mister. And you see a couple of students, and there's a, a little hot blonde that's kind of hanging around, lingering a little bit. And she's pissed for a couple of reasons, both the hot blonde and he was supposed to wait off on this because she wanted to finish her thesis first. Yep. So they could present it as a big, complete unit. Do you remember how uh, we find out about Cabrini Green and how it's all connected? Oh. It takes me a moment to realize this, but... During that whole enter, you know, the beginning scene at the university where she visits Trevor in his lecture. Afterward, there's like a janitor lady that comes in and she's cleaning the room. And I think she overhears or sees uh, Helen working on the project. And she's like, oh, I know about this lady, Ruthie Jean, that got killed. And And this other lady knows. a little bit more tangible lead. Yeah. So there's another lady. It's still a little bit of a secondhand account, but it's much closer than you normally get with this sort of thing. Yeah, you get a little bit... Like you said, a closer account, because this person might have first-hand account of you, even though you know it's still second-hand. And has more specific leads than people usually get, yeah. to the point where she's able to look up shit in papers and start cross-referencing her And story. that's what happens. Yeah, she does. She winds up having a little montage of looking up newspaper clippings, and uh, she finds certain murder cases going unsolved. And there's even a little bit of truth in that, too. During that time period in Chicago, there was... Uh, I guess some murders going on around Cabrini Green and some other places in the ghettos, essentially. And, uh, well, it was a dangerous place. Like I yeah. said, there was a whole gangland episode. She ends up, you know, coming to the thesis that, you know, is a serial killer that was going through. Well, she ends up going and finding the place from the killing. And is it after she noticed how the place from the killing that she realizes her place was a project, too? She, I remember she... And how the places were all interconnected. She starts to have uh, dinner with trevor and she's starting to talk about you know cabrini green and but eventually she does have bernie over for wine and then she shows her that she's like look i want to show you something she shows her that newspaper clipping of cabrini green and her building Mm -hmm. and how they kind of favor each other and the similarities or whatnot and that was what i was talking about earlier with uh, the mayor daily like it has a little factual a lot of this story sprinkles in some you know factual tidbits yeah well i was gonna say the When she shows Bernie the fact that, you know, all the apartments are actually really shittily interconnected through their through medicine cabinets. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like right in, in between all of that. So we're, we're following out on the right path. But you're right. They, they find out about the medicine cabinets, when you're right. The one thing I do remember from the Gangland episode <laughs> was that, that really there happened. were, in some of those buildings, like tunnels through the walls and shit so that 
if the police did get in, you know, there was ways to get around. You know what I mean? Yeah. And ways to connect some of the different buildings. And Especially when you have complexes like that where, you know, you have snipers and shit. And dude, yeah. It was, I mean, it's wild, dude. Wild times. Wild times. Yeah. And, the, you know, this is all throwback to those times in a way. But continuing on, yeah, she shows her that. That's her thesis, you know, serial killer coming through. And that's why it's connected to the mirrors, because it was all the medicine cabinet. And it's Cabrini Green, where this yeah. this legend is most propagated. Yeah. And, you know, without, I guess without trying to, like, to be too geeky out about Cabrini Green, but a lot of the reason why our director here, Bernard Rose, chose Cabrini Green, he said, like, look, we wanted to choose a place that a lot of people kind of associate it with being bad in the first place. You know, mm-hmm. it's like there's a lot of fear of being on the wrong side of the tracks. And, you know, like you see here, murderers and cops don't want to go there. So there's already, like, this already allure this mystery about it, and then you throw in an urban legend on top of it, where it kind of takes away some of the focus of that actual place and puts a little bit more emphasis on this character. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense because it, once we started kind of getting this movie, you see how that fuel kind of feeds the fire it's true. for this story. Speaking of feeding the fire, there was something else that when I was rewatching through this movie sort of stood out to me. There's two... This I like this movie. This is a really I good movie. I love this movie, man. There's two other movies that I really like that technically would probably be considered lesser than this movie. And I think this movie is what set me up for just loving those later on. And those would be Bones with Snoop Dogg. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad film. Very much reminds me of the Candyman legend, the tale of Jimmy Bones. Yeah, I can understand that. And Urban Legend. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly. all about urban legends. And I think this movie sort of primed me for those later on down the line because... Those uh, those were another two movies that I actually watched just a shit ton. When I think of uh, Candyman in that time period, we had mentioned, or I had mentioned briefly, uh, Tales from the Hood. Mm-hmm. I remember watching that film a lot. So, I mean, not that it's entirely connected, but you kind of understand some of the concepts when you watch those two films. But yeah, this film, man, something else. Yeah, we were talking about Cabrini Green with the medicine cabinets, and that's where Helen shows Bernie how the apartments were connected. And then they do wind up saying Candyman five times Bam. in the mirror. Bernie chickens out, but yeah, Helen does it. Exactly. And then what Nothing happens? immediately happens. No, she winds up going to bed that night, and then she gets spooked by Trevor, who jumps in the bed. And we notice that Trevor's always... Out late. He's out late. He's always doing stuff, business. Yeah, she gets spooked, and she kind of asks you know, where he's been. He's been working, apparently. You know, it's not even really a question. They sort of set it up pretty obvious from the yeah, get-go. we know what he's doing. You know what he's doing. He's doing the chick from class. Right, and this is where Helen and Bernie, they actually drive to Reading Green to research about the Candyman. And in the car, Bernie gets a little... She gets a little defensive, because she's got, like, pepper spray and ammo and shit. And Helen's like, we're just going, like, eight blocks down the road. She's like, but, you know, this place is dangerous. Mm-hmm. So we already know that this place is not where people kind of want to hang out. Helen's the one always pressing on. Bernie's always kind of holding back, especially when they finally get there. Like, Helen's about to go in. She's like, what are you doing? Like, a woman died in there. Like, Yeah. I mean, one thing I, I like, too, is like as soon as they show up at Cabrini Green for the first time, those, the women, is you see those gang members and like, what you doing out here, girls? You know, and they're kind of giving them a lot of gruff. Because mm-hmm. they even mentioned that like we're we look like we're dressed like cops, right? So the whole time, like you know, there's a lot of tension for them even being there trying to research this, and you got gang members hanging out, 
they finally get in the building and they start to go up the stairs and that's when those guys yell out hey yo five oh and uh, anyhow that's where we i think we have the first encounter of Anne marie the mccoy the lady with the, uh, the building because oh, they go with, by uh, and you see the, sweets uh, to the sweet the, the baby yeah eventually they do have that encounter i think she first gets spooked and then they eventually go into that apartment mm-hmm. and then she winds up going through the medicine cabinet and she goes to the mouth of the mural that was really cool man i really enjoy that Man, there yeah, there's some weird, freaky set pieces. They make those. Well, I won't say they they make those. Those apartments really are run down. Yeah. In Cabrini Green, so it wasn't like they had to do a lot to them. There's a no, lot no, of those no, places no. that not were like sectioned off. They had to do much to them. They just had to, you know, add the weird. You know, there's already off elements and run down elements. They just had to add the parts to make it more horror. You yeah. know what I mean? I don't know how much you dug into this, and uh, like I said, you know, this is our spoiler section, but the crew including the director and the producers, they had to pay off a lot of those extras, like the residents, mm-hmm. gang members, for protection and for credibility, right? So they said for them it was a way to, uh, you know, let them make some money and kind of dignify themselves a little bit, you know, have some work and make some money, work on an interesting project. But yeah, it was interesting, like, how they got access into Cabrini Green because this is all shot on site, you know? <laughs> It wasn't like they were in studio shooting this film. Mm-hmm. They're inside the complex. Yeah, but I guess getting back to like how they're getting in and out of those apartments, I mean, that, that alludes a lot to the fact that this actually happened in this place. Well, I mean, Candyman didn't actually happen. No, no, no. I mean, but... just like the fact that people were going in and out. Yeah. Like people were, that, I guess that's how some murders happened. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they were condoning it. They're just like, hey, this is what happened. So we're going to, I guess, show them how this would work. Right. Yeah, but she uh... does. Uh, Helen winds up shooting a lot of pictures, and she, you get to see that. The mouth and then the sweet to the sweets, and that's a Hamlet quote. I'll tell an interesting story after, after we tell the whole story, I suppose, of Candyman. But uh, anyhow, like I said, eventually she does come back out. She spooks Bernadette, and you get Anne Marie like asking her what they're doing, and then she eventually lets them into her apartment, and she's just kind of like, "Hey, we're just ordinary people. We're not criminals. You think we're drug users and whatever? It's like we're just trying to get by." Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of these these social undertones in this film. You know, oh, there's, I mean, there's a lot of texture in this, this uh, film. And that's set up from where you mentioned earlier, like when when Helen's explaining to Bernie how she, her, her, yeah, apartments her apartments used to be the PJs, yeah. but <laughs> there was no barrier between yeah. the uptown and downtown. No, there and was just so, like a few blocks that separate them, really. And so her area was intentionally gentrified. Yep. Because during that scene, Bernie asked her how much she paid. She's like, you don't want to know. Mm-hmm. So you get that, that sense that this place is super gentrified. Just so that they could then have the highway as the barrier between the ghetto and the... It is kind of weird. Like, yeah, because they have, like, the subways and mm-hmm. stuff. Something that kind like of that. Like, yeah. It's she just... explains it all. I just can't remember exactly what... I think what she's alluding to, you know, I guess what we're trying to surmise is that this is the nicer side of what the PJs is, was intended to be. Mm-hmm. And so we're gentrifying this side, and you keep the shitty side. Yeah. They're still inside. They get inside Anne Marie's because they tell her that they're they're not cops. They're doing research about right. Candyman, and that's where she tells them, you know, hey, here's my baby. I'm a single mother. They're wanting to do some research on Ruthie Jean, right? And that's where they find out about Candyman. But then after that, I, th- I guess they just, you know, they get that information for the night and then they leave. After they have that encounter with Anne Marie, that's when they have that dinner scene with the professor Purcell. Oh, and you find out the entire story of Candyman. Right, because what they're trying to do, when I say they, Helen and Bernie, they're trying to one-up those professors and trying to say, hey, there's actually some, 
I don't know, some truth into this stuff, and we're going to bury you. And he laughs him off because he's like, oh, you're talking about Candyman? He's like, I wrote a paper about that shit 10 years ago. What you know about that? And then that's, yeah, he gives them the story of like 1890. There was a son of a slave. They acquired wealth because the father was a shoes like maker. Anyhow, the son, because of the wealth that they had generated, he had like aristocratic background mm-hmm. and he was well known for his paintings. And so he got commissioned by a landowner who had a virginal daughter that he wanted to portray in, in painting. And this son of a, of a slave man who got wealth, who we find out is Candyman, spoiler. His name, I don't know if they ever mentioned, but it got credited as Daniel Robitaille. Okay. Yeah, that's who the Candyman really is. I don't know if they ever say the name, but that's who he is. He wound up having a relationship with the landowner's daughter, and they did not like that. And so what happened to Daniel, Candyman, is he wound up getting his arm chopped off. Right, the dude hired a bunch of... A, uh, just a mob. A mob. A lynch mob. Yep. Uh, they saw off his arm, and then there was an apiary on the street corner. Yeah, and they dug out the honeycomb, smeared it all over him. And let the bees Daniel. go to town, yes. bur- uh, sting him to death. Stung him to death. I guess because of the, the toxin, the poison, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And after that, they burned him in a pyre to ashes, and they sprinkled him all over Cabrini Green. So this is the site of where it happened, at Cabrini Green. That gives more of a credence to the story, like it's based in fact, even though the story, you know, it's, it's fiction. Now, do you remember that scene? So, dude's kind of a pompous ass. Yeah. But he starts off more haughty and not a pompous ass. He only goes pompous ass after Helen is insistent that she's about to fucking one-up him. And, yeah, I'm going to bury you. Yeah, I'm going to bury you. He's like, how? You don't even know the Like, story. you never even read my shit. Like, like what the fuck are you going to teach me, Helen? Yeah. How about I school you a little bit? Yeah, and he does. I mean, he shuts her down. I don't know if you noticed. I noticed this, too. Because there's a lot of smoking in this film. Right. A commercial ad for cigarettes. (laughs) Because there's always somebody puffing in a scene. But anyway, that happens a lot in this film. So if you're not used to seeing smoking, this is... You see a lot of smoking in this film. Yeah, so they have that dinner with him. Then she goes back. Helen goes back and meets the kid, Jake. Because she's supposed to meet Anne-Marie, but she's not home. And then she bribes Jake into, like, you know, I promise I won't tell because he's scared of Candyman. Mm-hmm. And then he leads her in, I think, where? Did, oh, yeah, he leads yeah, her to yeah. that bathroom. He leads her to the bathroom. The public bathroom. And then he tells her the story about the kid who got butchered inside there. And he tells her about the mom and that kid going shopping. And the kid just went across the street because mm-hmm. I guess the mom got caught up shopping and he was being annoying. And while the kid was inside, he let out this, like, murderous scream, this blood-curdled scream. And they went outside, and this guy, this muscular guy, went inside. And he came back out, and his hair turned white. And He was only the, in there five seconds. Five seconds, and his hair turned white. But when they went in there, they saw the carnage, and the kid was laying in a pool of his own blood. And in the last stall, his private parts had been chopped off and thrown into the toilet. And they're like, there ain't no coming back from that. And Helen goes inside there, and that's when she starts snapping those pictures. You see sweets to the sweet. It looks like it might be yeah, written that's in when, shit or blood. That's when all the, yeah, I'm not sure what that was. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's shit. And because then got she close starts and to I'm gag like, and she's is that crusted her mouth. blood? Is that shit? I'm not quite yeah. sure. She kicks open that stall, and that's where you is see the bees. They're in that toilet. Is it blood shit mix? It might be, man. It might be shitty blood, bloody shit. 
Both. A little bit of both. A little bit of piss. I ain't judging. <laughs> Some semen. Yeah. There's probably a lot of DNA on that. <laughs> Some mocos. Yeah. Ooh. It's a little bit of mocos. Some locos cocos. <laughs> um, but when she comes out, right, then you get this guy comes in and he's got the hook. And he, what did he say to her? I, I don't remember what he said, but he's this fucking gangster who's trying to use the candy is, man. This is what he says to her. He says, I hear you looking for candy man, bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And then those guys come in and one of the guys comes up and gets her and then the guy hits her. her in the side of the head. Yeah. She, she gets knocked out. And then when she wakes up. Oh, she, her eyes fucked. Uh, she's like, I guess she's back at the station. Yeah. And there's, and a, there's lineup. a lineup and she picks out the guy. Yeah. And, and the fight, the lineup is kind of funny because, you know, it's, it's kind of a stereotypical, you know, black guy lineup and they mm-hmm. all say in that line. I hear you looking for the candy candy man, man, bitch. She's like, yeah, it's number five. But her eyes all swole up, and she's talking to this black policeman. He's like, you know, you're lucky to make it out. Anyhow, I guess she goes back to the apartment with uh, with Trevor, and she's looking better. You know, her eyes all looking fine. Trevor, they have dinner. Then, then, okay, then Bernie and her later. Well, no, when she's leaving... Because when she's leaving the she runs the police, she's oh she, well she runs into the kid, is when the real Candyman appears to her, and that's when he explains to her what's going on, in oh, her yes. head. What happens too is a little bit just a little bit before that is Bernie, when Helen got knocked out, she or her camera broke, but they rescued her her slides, and Bernie gives her those slides. She's like, look, we still rescued these. She's like, oh, I thought they were lost when I when the camera broke. They meet up a little bit later on, and they split up in the parking garage, Bernie and her. And then that's when Candyman comes out because he starts calling her name, Helen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like said, so there's a lot of those quick sequences. This is kind of a little bit of a long film. But he explains to her that so because of everything that she just did, and the police now think that that gang leader did all of the Candyman killings, especially because he did have a hook. She discredited belief in him, so now he has to take innocent life in order to restore the legend. And she blacks out, and when she comes to, it's fucked up. Yeah, because when she wakes up, she's in the bathroom, and she's laying in a pool of blood, and you hear a woman in the background screaming hysterically, and we find out who that woman is. It's Well, and the blood's on her in a way that it appears that she might have gotten ripped open the way they she knows Candyman doesn't. Yeah. So um, she checks herself, but she's good. You're right. I mean, when Candyman, when he visits her in that parking garage, like I said, he's kind of setting her up for future things to come. Right? He's all about trying to build the legend. And so yeah. it, first thing he does is terrify her just by the way the blood's on her. Does it? <laughs> the fucking dog's head is cut off. We should have worn that. Yeah, I mean... Like Sorry. Some, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a real dog that gets chopped up, but you know what it is. She pops into the room. Baby's missing. Baby's Bunch of blood missing. everywhere. Blood, like you said, blood everywhere. Dogs. Sorry, dog. And... Mom freaks out, She goes her. after Helen, and she starts banging Helen's head on the floor. Like, she's fucking her up. And she Helen gets that gets butcher's knife, knife and manages to cut her, get the upper hand, gets the upper hand just in time for the police bust in on the white woman. Boom! And then they have that slowdown sequence where Helen's getting drug off inside the apartment complex. You see the helicopter shining the light, and then she's in the precinct. So what happens is while Helen's getting... Oh, this is where... This is where she calls her husband. Yes. 
her getting checked in is kind of a long sequence, actually. Yeah, it's kind of a pervy sequence, too, because that female officer who's checking her in for her clothes being evidence, mm-hmm. she's like, all right, take off your clothes. Mm-hmm. Lift your left breast. Lift your right breast. But it's during the end of it that she gets her phone call, yeah. and that's when... Trevor's not home. Trevor's not and home. And she leaves something that a lot of people don't leave anymore on these devices, because they're ancient, mm-hmm. those old answering machines. But after she leaves the message, you know, telling Trevor that she needs to be picked up, she asked that female officer, she's like, well, what time is it? She's like, it's 3 a.m. So we know Trevor's not home at 3 a.m. in the morning. What's he doing? But during that sequence, too, we also learned that Candyman has the baby. And then finally, Trevor shows up and gets Helen out. They wind up going back home. Oh, well, actually, during that sequence, like, when they're taking her out, they have, like, this mob of reporters and people. Oh. And, you know, they got her covered up, and they're asking her questions. She doesn't answer anything. But right. then they go back to their apartment and they're watching it with looks like an attorney or a lawyer or somebody who's going to help defend her. And, you know, he's like, hey, you know, you're being charged with, was it first degree? The thing was is that at the end of it all, Trevor ends up bailing it out. Yeah, Helen has that that bath sequence where, mm-hmm. you know, you get to see some breasts. And anyhow, Trevor, yeah, Trevor does dip out. She doesn't want him to leave. And he's only gone for 20 minutes. Okay. Well, Obviously way longer than 20 minutes later, she's yeah. out of the bath and Candyman appears again. You're right. She winds up hearing like some noise going on back in the bathroom after she gets out. And she goes, checks on it in the medicine cabinet, and he punches through it. She goes back into like the kitchenette little area, and it reappears. He winds up hypnotizing her. And this is where he finally tells her. I think this is, for me, this is where shit really, like, I, I don't know. I won't say the crescendo, but I'd say this is, like, the, the This is where it starts to go into that, la- the whole crazy last sequence. But this is also where it starts to get, this movie is great, but when you oh, really look at some parts of it, it doesn't make too I did get ahead sense. of myself a little bit. Oh, sure, she does she... see the, the Candyman image. Mm-hmm. That was she, kind of freaky. Yeah, and that's when she hears the noise, and then the cook, and then, anyhow, he starts, he, believe in me, be my victim. He does that a lot. He tells her that he needs people to believe. That's when he puts his hook in her in the kitchen. And then that's when Bernie shows up. Oh, yeah. Well, he hooks her and Bernie shows up. And you don't get to see what happens, but you get to see the aftermath. And he fucked Bernie up. Yeah, Bernie comes into the apartment and she becomes silently horrified because you do see Candyman. Mm -hmm. You don't see what he does. You just hear screams. Yep. And Helen passes out. And then what happens after that sequence is Trevor reappears and he sees Helen in the kitchen with that butcher's knife and she's lying on the floor. And that whole time, too, she was trying to call out for Bernie. Mm-hmm. Don't come in. But she was so fucked up, she couldn't get anything out. And Bernie got, she got whacked. So when she's first brought in, there's a sequence that's videotaped and played later. And it's one of the only things I noticed upon my second watching because it stood out. It seems that they're a little bit more anal about these days because yeah. it's easier to make a match up with, you know, CG and, you know, digital editing and all this. But her getting sedated when Candyman appears oh, yeah. to her yep, yep. in the psych hospital when she's, you know, yeah. on the bed and shit. When they play it later in the, the shrink's office. Yeah, yeah, Burke, yeah. It doesn't match up. No. I mean, here's something, too. Like you said, during that whole sequence... She gets that first shot inside the apartment. She kind of breaks free, and she does see Bernie, mm-hmm. and she knows what happens, and then she has that ride-along. But it cues back to Candyman with the baby, and he's he kind of has like this voiceover telling Helen, almost commanding her, is like, you look, you need to stop wanting to live. You need to embrace the fact that you're going to become a boogeyman. Oh, and, then, and, yeah. and it's her. But, the, but you're right. The whole time she's getting 
shots and there's a time gap that goes missing for her well and he's also explained that it's her the baby you can, oh yeah, yeah yeah if you give in then the baby doesn't get killed but otherwise i gotta do something here what did you think about the so floating the, sequence this is also the part of the movie where they start blurring the line because from this part of the movie sometimes Candyman is like a phantom like the way he yeah, has been yeah, spectrally yeah. throughout the entire first half of the movie first two-thirds of the movie but from here on out it seems like he's way more corporeal even though he's supposed to be lesser in power and he's trying to rebuild his legend he suddenly has like a hideout that he's holding the baby in yeah he's got a little bunker inside Cabrini Green that she keeps getting little visions of as well so I, I mean I think he's intentionally sending her the vision so she knows where to come I'm, I'm gonna make a, a real quick parallel because this reminded me a little bit of the Babadook and what I mean by that is the more you feed into that story, the more the monster... Is spectrally the more powerful? I guess spectrally would be the more powerful version, because corporeally he could die. So I guess yeah. maybe that does make sense. Well, yeah, I suppose. I mean, not that there's like identical parallels, but what I'm saying is the more that you feed into the mythos, <clears throat> the more that character grows. It reminded me of a series by Matt Wagner called Grendel. You eventually find out that Grendel's kind of this demon that also... The more known its name is, the more power it gains. The series starts off as being kind of like anti-hero, superhero story, where it's just like this assassin-turned-mob-boss. By the end of the series, it's thousands of years later, and the force Grendel that's behind everything has manipulated events to, like, there's times where Grendel's been synonymous with the devil, yeah. against a corrupt version of the church in the future and then other times where to keep the name famous like it's morphed into being the name of like a samurai inspired military force and like other things just to keep the name going and Pretty interesting man i guess with her being in the hospital i wasn't going to ask you about was uh the floating sequence where Candyman comes down and then like whoop under the table. Yeah, he goes right up underneath it and she you know, she has that moment where she's freaking out and all that shit and the uh, orderlies come in and then Is that just to allude to the fact that he's kind of the boogeyman, like underneath the bed? That would make sense to me. Like it's Because otherwise it was kind of a weird call because he's just like whoop underneath the bed. During that whole sequence after she the whole freak out moment, like so the orderlies they wheel her down to Doctor Burke. Well, not right after. You no, find out it's a month after. later. Yeah, they've had her. That's what I'm getting at. Like, they've had her dosed up this entire time. They got her whole fucked up. It was on Thorazine. They've been mm-hmm. injecting her, and it's yeah. That course from the time that she got first admitted, I would imagine, was right after her friend Bernadette got slaughtered. Until the time now, she's having that meeting with Doctor Burke. She's finding out that she's been in there for a month, and she doesn't remember most of it because of those Thorazine injections she's been receiving. And she starts to question, like, she's like, I'm not capable of doing these things, no matter how deep, you know, things get. Mm -hmm. I'm not capable of it. And she's strapped down the whole time, and she's even like, you know, is this necessary? And he shows her the footage I already mentioned, and it doesn't match up, which is kind of funny. It sticks out these days. But she eventually's like, hey, I can prove it. I can call him. Do you remember how she proved it? There's a mirror in the office. She looks over to it, and she starts to say Candyman, and she gets off that fifth one. And then nothing happens for quite a second, and then there's a little bit of carnage that I like. Dude gets ripped up the backside. Oh. Yeah, Candyman comes up with his hook, I guess, maybe from his anus? 
you know, to me, it seemed to imply that he came all the way around. The hook started, and then he went, Ooh. He gave him the hook, the all, monkey yeah, swoosh. All the way. It seems like it started at the shaft, and then ripped down through the sack, yes. through the taint, Super. through the ass. That's a lot of gore in that Up scene. the back. Blood squirting. Here's something. But that's the thing. All you see is the blood squirting. You don't actually get to see any of this. This no, is I mean, just there's what the sort of sound implied. Blood or guts, not really. You just see the blood squirting. You see blood squirting, squirting, and, and Tony noise. Todd standing up. Yeah, I mean, you, you see him ripping through the guy. But here's something we talked about with Henry and also being a Chicago film. This film, Candyman, was getting a lot of NC-17 ratings from the boards because of the blood. Mm-hmm. Not because of anything else in this film, but because of the blood. That's why it was, or they were trying to give it an NC-17 rating. So think about that a little bit, too, about this film. But he basically helps her get free. Yeah, he breaks her her restraints. Because, well, I mean, and it makes sense because he's made her an offer and she gets free, then she has an option of actually taking him up on it. He says, you're mine now. He helps her escape. What he's saying, too, is the congregation, being like the residents, I suppose, of Cabrini Green, are going to witness a new miracle that evening. He sets her free. That's when she makes her escape. She comes out like through the window to another Her escape room. sequence is actually pretty cool. We've been doing a lot of escape sequences lately. Her escape sequence is pretty cool. It's really awesome. And she makes it first. First, right? Yeah, first from her room into another room. Like the adjacent well, room. Well, no, I mean, I, I want oh, people sorry, to watch that part. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, I'll probably give it too much away. Sorry. She goes first to her house. Yeah, she first goes and sees Trevor. But her home, yeah. And he shacked up with student. She that busts in on lady. her first, and I like that because she turns around, is fucking terrified, and immediately starts bawling. Yeah, that girl. She comes right off that little, what maybe six foot ladder. But to be fair, they also all think that she fucking gutted her best friend. So that chick is freaking out. She calls a Trevor. Trevor comes in. And he's like, "Oh, what's the matter, honey, boo boo?" Looking like a douche. Yeah, he does look like a douche. God, she ends up freaking out and leaving, though. I can't remember how she ends that. There was something... I feel like it was something important. I don't know. I can't think of it. No, right the, the whole point was, is, you know, he's... When I say he... Trevor keeps telling the, the girl to call the hospital. Like, we need to call the hospital. And she's like, look, Trevor. She's like, this is my home still. You know, she's the loose. Oh, yeah, I guess maybe not. Things. She just knows that they're fucking... But she finally figures out. She's like, I guess you were anticipating me being locked up forever. And she knows it's over. She's like, it's over. She even intimidates that girl a little bit. She's like, here, call them. But there's something she says. There's something she says is very important because it, it took me a minute to figure this out because it took me maybe two or three times to watch it. She tells Trevor because he kind of looks like he wants to move on her when she has the phone, but then he backs off when she looks back over at him. She's like, what's the matter, Trevor? She's like, something's scaring you? Mm-hmm. you know, are you afraid of something? But then she does. She jets off. And when she jets off... That's when she goes to Cabrini Green to yep. find the, the Candyman's lair. Yeah, and, and the whole time when she's going back to Cabrini Green, you hear Candyman kind of enticing her, that voiceover. He's saying, all you have left is my desire for you. And that's when she finds some murals that actually shows the lynching story yeah, that she Yeah, she goes back to told. that med cab, goes to the hole in the wall, and she finds a hook on... Um, this chain that she goes to take with her yeah there's like this little room that has like a lot of candles lit and then she goes to this hole in in this uh upper portion of that apartment and opens up into this another larger portion of that apartment complex you know it's still abandoned torn down but then she starts hearing the voices well actually no she sees a mural on the wall she keeps getting closer and she sees the mural on the wall of what happened to Candyman? And then she keeps hearing him, and she gets closer, and she sees him laying down because he's breathing really heavy. She has a hook, and she stabs him. 
Oh, and he right. kind of brushes it off. He's like, you came back to me. Yeah, and she ends up giving in anyway, and they kiss, and she starts doing all the blackout shit again. And it's a yeah. weird fucking sequence. We, I kind of described it earlier. He opens up his fucking coat, and it's all like eating up rib cage with a bunch of bees, and mm-hmm. bees start pouring out of his mouth, and they like kiss, thing. and that it's all fucked scene. up. Yeah. Fuck bees. That whole scene of what, you what's bees. happening is he's like, look, you have nobody Stinging left. Stinging little fucks. You have nobody left. We'll make an exchange. The baby's safe return in exchange for you becoming a legend, immortal, with him. She asks about the crossover, right? He's like, your pain will be exquisite, but our deaths, you have nothing to fear. We'll like, be you're going to become a legend, too. Like, yeah, you're going to be dead, but then you're technically kind of living forever, and it's me and you, and let's do this. You know, and then it's time for a new miracle after the whole B sequence, because she does. She kind of, she fades out. She fades out a lot around him. So she was promised that shows up, baby lives. But when she comes to, they're both gone. Something, too, I want to mention. Uh, it was when he puts her on that, like, altar while she's, mm-hmm. like, falling asleep, whatever. You get, a, I think, a painting, too. You, like, see that woman that started the whole thing. Well, that comes up here in a second. Yeah. Because it does show when she comes again. to, she finds that mural. And it has written across it, it was always you, Helen. Yeah. And you see the face and... It was obviously like her ancestor, or she. He thinks that it's her reborn. It's always been you, Helen. Yeah, but she she starts hearing the babies cry after she wakes up and sees that painting or mural, mm-hmm. and she goes after the baby on the pyre, and she still has the hook. And it's funny because you can see her like stumbling and shit. Because earlier in the film, the kid said that it was set for a bonfire to happen later that week, but her <laughs> crawling through all that stuff and finally getting in, that kid Jake, he hears all that commotion and then he sees the hook. And he's like, Candyman's here. And here's the thing. Candyman was going to use, basically sacrifice the baby to fuel his and Helen's legend. Yeah. And he was presumably going to kill Helen somehow. I think because he was trying she to Because she needs to be dead. Them. Yeah, like, she needs to be dead, the baby needs to be dead, and he needs to be dead in order to, no, no puns, but to fuel the fire of that whole mythos, like, the Candyman mm-hmm. mythos. But she thought that her showing up was going to save the baby. Yeah. So she's so going, she's going for after baby. it. She's had enough of it. She's going to go save the baby. Yeah, but the whole time is that kid winds up getting some of the residents of Cabrini. Right, Anthony, Green. is that his name? Jake. Yeah, the baby's name is Anthony. That's right. But Jake gets like a couple of the gang members, and they're starting to pour gasoline, petrol on the pyre, the bonfire. Because he just saw the hook go in. So yeah, he like did. Candyman so he assumes there. Candyman's here. But it's her. It's her. He doesn't know that, but he thinks it's Well, Candyman. and Candyman is there, but. True. True that. True that. Figuratively, literally. I guess the whole point is they're starting to set fire to the pyre. And then when Helen finally does get the baby, you know, she's crawling around and then Candyman cuts her off. And that's when he's like, you know, you need to let this happen. Soon we'll be in ashes. And then she kind of breaks free of him. She grabs that burning, looks like a steak or a piece of wood. She jabs him in the chest, and you see that exposed mm-hmm. chest of bees. The bees. Mm. Yeah, she gets away, but when she gets away, that pyre starts to crumble, and she catches fire. Oh, dude, she gets it across the back. Holy shit. She's yeah, screaming she's, in agony. She's on fire. She's on fire. Candyman's like, hello, no. She gets burned fatally. He gets burned even more fatally. What I thought was pretty gnarly is like that whole sequence played out when she finally gets out. She hands the baby to Anne-Marie. Then you see, I guess, the bees or maybe the spirit of Candyman vanishing. But you see Jake. He looks very resolved. and It and looks like maybe the Candyman body. for the body. And then yeah. when he sees the body burning, he's like, yeah. Yeah. But Helen got 
well, Virginia Madsen, she got all crispy in that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that she sequence. got fucked up. And then right after that, like immediately after that, you see the funeral sequence where it's just like Trevor and that chick and then Dr. Purcell and another gentleman and Helen's being lowered into the, to the, her grave. She looks elegant. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as she's getting lowered, Trevor looks off and then you see the Jake and Anne-Marie and the baby. Everybody, everybody in the PJs. From, yeah, everybody from the PJs comes, pays her respects. The kid unzips his jacket and throws the hook onto her coffin. The real into hook, because you yeah. see the bolt coming out and shit. Yep, he throws it into there, and it looks like everybody's paying their respects, almost like she's a saint mm-hmm. to them. And then the very next sequence, if I'm not mistaken, is Trevor in the bathroom, and the chick is outside of the bathroom. She's like, are you all right? I just need a moment. I'm okay. And this is where you might as well have boobs, because her shirt's see-through for the most yeah, part. Yeah, nips were everywhere on that scene. I guess the whole point of that on scene... On the transparent side of translucent. Is Trevor's starting to have, like... He's starting to mourn, and he's having, like, these flashbacks of Helen in the apartment cooking up dinner and, you know, being, like, very cheerful. And he's missing that, although he has this young chick who's offering that right now. Mm-hmm. And she's getting upset for the fact that he's locked himself in the bathroom, won't help her. Anyway, his biggest mistake is while he's mourning, he looks in the mirror in his bathroom, and he's like, Oh, Helen... Helen, Helen, Helen. Yeah, and he, he does the whole Helen five times. But before he, he, like, turns the light off and he does that last Helen, and then Helen reappears. Fucks his world up. Yeah, remember what I was saying earlier when she comes back? Mm-hmm. And when right before she guts him like that, she's like, what's the matter, Trevor? Because she's like, are you scared, scared of, something? of something? Yeah, but you're right. She and she's him. reveling in it to, like, a pinhead. Yeah, and that girl, extends. that young lady, she, she hears all that commotion she's like trevor are you all right but when she goes inside you see that he got fucked up and he's laying in the bathtub gutted and she has a butcher's knife and she's all hysterical and then it cuts to it cuts to back into the cabrini green in like this abandoned apartment rooms i suppose or tenants uh but you see the painting it looks like of a saint helen well, it like, and it's a new mural, and she's kind of—is she kind of like rising from a pyre, and yeah. then her hair is replaced by flames going up even higher, something like that. Yeah. So, it takes—I think for this film, upon first view, for anybody, it's hard to di- digest everything that this film is thrown at you. Not that there's, like, it's overwhelming. It's just—it's very rich. It has a lot of undertones. There's a lot of metaphors throughout in this film. But that whole last sequence, to me, I felt like. Candyman was trying to set her up, like, except for a different type of boogeyman. To be like him. Exactly. Well, she is like him. She is, but not. But not. Because instead, to that whole complex, to me, I felt like she became a saint or a martyr to them. Because she stood up to Candyman, saved the baby. She died saving the baby. But she also got rid of Candyman and returned. Now, the only thing that I was curious about is the way the Candyman legend was first explained... Mm-hmm. He's a very sympathetic character. Yeah. And, he's super, and he really the way, the way he explains what he's doing, he's obviously using it to justify taking an innocent life, mm-hmm. but it seems like he started as what Helen becomes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. But because she dispelled belief in him, he's about to not exist. And so he, he needs, needs to, to do this all, to survive. Maybe? Yeah. He's not ready to go away forever. He wants to survive, and that's why he's turning to taking innocent life. But before that, it seemed that he was some sort of vengeful spirit. Yeah. 
Yeah, because if you look at the backstory leading up to the point where she actually hears the real story and then encounters him, a lot of it is just owed to the fact that his name gets associated with these murders. Mm-hmm. So you would associate Candyman with death. But the whole point, I suppose, I mean, not that there's anything false with that, but there's a whole different narrative too, was that his whole death and resurrection, I suppose, and this mythos was very tragic. His guilty crime, I suppose, was just falling in love with a white woman who had a wealthy land with a father. Uh, and then the other thing that was interesting is that, I mean, he needed Helen the entire time, obviously, but yeah, that's only because film. he wanted her to be a boogeyman like him. Right. But what was going to seal it was the innocent blood of the baby. Yeah. And it was going to be killing the innocent blood of the baby that was supposed to turn her into a boogeyman. Yeah. But it ended up being saving the baby that still turned her into a boogeyman. Yeah, she just became a different sort of boogeyman. Not that. But I do think she could change. I, I think yeah, she could yeah. go like him and change. She could. She totally could. I think that was the interesting thing about this film is you had, like I said, a character like the Candyman who had this tragic background, and it was very you could sympathize with his story. But then you throw in the fact that you have these urban legends and the fear of the unknown and fear of places that you shouldn't be or that has a bad reputation. You throw that mix into it. <laughs> it's like, shoot, that can really hit home to a lot of people. And I think it did across the country, you know, when this mm-hmm. film came out. Because um, it did really well in the theaters and people really responded well to it. It just has a really strong story. Great soundtrack. You know, it just it was a very elegant film, I felt like. So it had a very gothic feel but set in an inner-city setting, as opposed to, like, a countryside or a castle. I don't know. Really, I really enjoyed this film. Me too. Uh, there's one other thing I want to bring up alongside this movie that's a really fun little thing yeah, that yeah. you kids listening to us on your audio-listening devices can try at home. Obviously, you know, Candyman is kind of Bloody Mary-ish. Look in a mirror, say Bloody Mary three times bullshit happens or whatever you know candlelit mirror you know in most cases this legend is brought about by a weird little phenomenon how about do any of you out there want to hallucinate without drugs Ooh, let's hear this all you have to do go to your bathroom mirror in a very dimly lit room and just stare yourself in the face for like five minutes They're not entirely sure of all of the mechanisms behind what happens, but if you are just, like, staring yourself, like, in the eyes or in, like, the middle of the face or whatever, in a dimly lit room for five minutes, more than likely, like, I think over 90%, maybe even more, maybe a 100% sure thing, depending on how good you are at, you know, keeping your focus in one place. I think that's the trick behind is you really have to keep your focus in one place. Yeah, so that way you can kind of get get that focus. And getting the right amount of dimly lit. Weird shit will start happening. Most people will report things like your nose will disappear from your vision. Or like your entire face will just be like a blank lump of flesh. Or other people have reported like it seems like their eyes were spinning. Huh. Or even that monsters, their face morphed into looking like a monster of some sort. (laughs) I can understand that to an extent. There's a couple things behind it that probably contribute. One's called Troxler's fading, or the Troxler effect. It's when one fixates on a particular point of unchanging stimulus, points away from that will fade away and disappear. You're really good at looking at one thing, but most of your peripheral vision is just put together by your brain. Yeah. And so when it doesn't have a good amount of stimulus, 
this has a lot more free reign to start going into effect. And so your peripheral tries to sort of make up something being there. Makes sense, yeah. I've watched a few um, kind of interesting things about what people have kind of these fears in the dark, you know, that mm-hmm. you see objects that aren't necessarily what they appear to be in the shadows. So like you were saying, yet your mind starts to conjure up these familiar images that you attach to it. So you tend to spook yourself out nine times out of ten, which is things that you're familiar with. And you, like you say, your mind creates these illusions. It's um, in a world of where images get shared across and meme form daily, there are times where it's optical illusion things. Yeah. It's uh, the same as the ones where like when you look at certain points on a grid, gray dots disappear or reappear yeah. in different areas. And it's because your brain can't fill in all of that information yeah. at once. It's interesting, right? Yeah. Your brain really thirsts for information of some sort, so it will make up things to fill in the gaps. And that's kind of like how sensory deprivation chambers work. And yeah, it's, and it makes total sense when you know a little bit about the science. Not that, that we're you know professionals, but it's nice to have a little backstory about it. But it's also a good basis for where the Bloody Mary legend probably came from. Yeah. In a lot of versions of the legend, it has to be like a candlelit mirror, you know what I mean? For the dimly lit, for your not to have that much sense input, so your brain has to make it up. Yeah. That's really cool, because like we were talking about at the very beginning, I was familiar with, like I said, the legend of, of doing the Bloody Mary and going to the bathroom say Bloody Mary. I think it was like three times. Yeah, it's usually, it's either uh, usually three second. times or keep chanting it until something happens. It was, I mean, from, from what, the, what I'm I always heard three, three times, yeah. uh, I eventually heard keep chanting it until something happens it wouldn't, later. I on. mean, <laughs> it would make sense too, but even like that and um, the light as a feather, stiff as, as a board, board, that kind of stuff. And, you know, playing with Ouija boards and stuff like that, you know, it kind of rem- reminded me a lot of that because that was some of the times during my youth that, you know, this is some of the exploratory phases when you're in- involved horror and you're into that kind of the weird occultish it's the way stuff. horror interacts with your everyday life. Yeah. I mean, you find it in, you know, other objects or different memes, you mm-hmm. know. Same thing, like I said, Candyman is no different because it plays a little bit on that Bloody Mary aspect with the saying that Candyman five times in the mirror. So that was something I was familiar with going into this film before we even rewatched it. Uh, like I said, I knew Candyman first, but it was still around the same time period I ran into both. So yeah. it was always just kind of there. It always really interested me too when I found out the science behind of where that might have came from too. Yeah, and that's really cool. Because Especially because hallucinating is awesome. Yeah, that's how you get to learn a, a neat little thing about your brain that you wouldn't really associate with this movie but it, it plays right back into like the whole mythos and like how we conjure up things in the dark and you know how we prey upon certain fears mm-hmm. you know and how, or how those fears prey upon us too psychologically speaking of preying upon fears yeah. we want to keep preying upon your people's fears by bringing you more movies yeah um right before we get into that though okay i want to share just a few one, nuggets because okay. I, I think like so this Nugget is one of, this is one of my favorite films that we've done and there's some really cool shit that i do want to share really quick i'll get Nugget. right through it i mentioned that they did have to pay gang members for their protection right in the last day of filming it was actually a sniper that shot through one of the camera vans Shit. Right? And so Alan Poole talked about, he's like, look, at the time I was kind of internally freaking out, but he's like, we wanted to make sure that everybody and all the vans got off before we could assess what really happened. So, like I said, a lot of those scenes, they were getting, you know, insider information, stairwells, like I said, inside the the tenants and stuff like that. One thing, too, that Tony Todd talked about when I was watching some of these making, the making of 
He said that he and Virginia Madsen, they did a lot of waltzing classes, and they also did fencing classes together because they wanted to kind of be in sync with each other okay. during the filming process. They wanted to have that chemistry. And Barnard Rose, if you watch the film, you can kind of see these scenes because of the way that Virginia Madsen, you can see her eyes kind of like, you know. She and he went and visited a hypnotist, and during her hypnosis sessions, the director got information from the hypnotist, like what word to say and what mannerisms to use to get her into that trance. Mm-hmm. So there's confirmation from Alan Poole and Clive Barker and Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd themselves were like, there were times where Barnett Rose would tell the crew in the set during scenes with Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen where he's like, all right, I need everybody to clear out or go to the corner. That includes you, Mr. Barker. Mm-hmm. And they said he would like wave his hands and say whatever he said to her and she would go into this trance. And he says, if you watch certain scenes, like the one where she's in the parking garage and they first meet, I think even during the B scene, and there's just certain sequences where her eyes are fixated and she's in a trance and you even see her tears streaming. Mm -hmm. She's like, he really put her under. And there came a time during some of the filming where she couldn't remember what they were doing. She's like, I could remember the lights. I remember Barnard saying stuff to me. She's like, but then I would come out of it and not remember what the hell happened. Dang. Yeah, so she got pissed off at him for doing that stuff. But some of that stuff actually helped her when she was filming with the B sequences. Because they got a professional guy, and how they found him was a really cool story. The guy's name, Norman Gary, he's a beekeeper. He was hired after Rose and some of the crew had watched him on the Johnny Carson show. Okay. He performed with the bees while he was playing the clarinet. So they hired him on board. Fun fact. Yeah. I play clarinet. Ties back to you. Look at you. So at the time when they hired him. But not well, anyway. That's okay. You still played it. You rocked it out. Gary built an apiary above the studio. Okay. And he was training these bees, and he was very meticulous, and he was very humane is what they said about him. But this is where the bee scene. He said for these particular bees, they would hatch, and they would give them a period of about 12 hours Oh, I thought I read this myself because in 12 hours... They're not quite mature to sting, for their stingers to fully work. Right, they're they're, they're big enough that they look mature. Right. But their sting isn't quite as powerful. They can still sting a little bit. Right, I mean, they could definitely get you, but it won't be as potent until like maybe after about 24 hours. That gives them full time, I suppose, for them to develop that feature. So this guy, Gary... Science! Yeah, science. Here's another little science. Norman Gary, for that filming sequence, he would gather those bees after 12 hours, and they put a mouth guard in Tony Todd's mouth, and he filled them up. And then he said, Tony Todd was like, while I was waiting with those bees in my mouth, he said, Barnard Rose is over there hypnotizing Virginia Madsen. And then they would use this pheromone that mimicked the queen bee. Mm -hmm. So instead of her being afraid, it was like, you know, these drones and uh, worker bees, they were actually protecting her because she was mimicking the queen. They just hit her with a few. She's like, at first when they dumped the bees on her, she got a little panicky. Because she's actually allergic to bees. Okay. So they had to keep paramedics and ambulance on set during kind the filming. Kind of freaking the fuck out. Yeah, she said, but what happened oh, is just like, eventually shat they would spread out. And she's like, oh, they felt like little Q-tips dabbing my face. <laughs> oh, I would have just all the shit. Man, I'm not a huge I fan of bees. a rocket of just fecal matter streaming out, just punching me into the ceiling. So you pour that many bees on yeah. me. Yeah. Right, there's one other thing before I get got too much on this that Clive Barker talked about when he was writing The Forbidden. And he used the quote, sweets to the sweet. It's a quote. 
in Hamlet. I don't know what it alludes to, but what he had mentioned, he said there's a company, the makers of the golden syrup is what they make in England. I guess it's okay. a sweet or whatever. He says, but the makers of this product, they put on their label a partially decomposing body with bees flying and swarming around it. And they have a quote, and the quote is actually a scripture from Judges. I don't like to quote here, but it's from Judges uh, chapter 14, verses 10 through 14, for those who want to reference it. Uh, but it says, And he saith unto them, out of, the, out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. Barker said that he found it oddly unique that something, something that is perversely sweet comes from the monstrous. So that's why he used the bees hmm. with the figure of Candyman. He says, right. you know, because of this tragedy that happened to him, something like bees and honey and stuff like that would come forth. Mm-hmm. So it's saying that he's strong, the story is strong. And, you know, it just has this, like, this, like, this weird allegory, too, because it ties back into a scripture. But there's an actual company that he got this from, from being a child. And he incorporates a lot of these things into his stories, which I found kind of interesting, too, with Clive Barker. Well, that's pretty neat. Yeah, so you get to see like where they were using a lot of these influences with the bees and her getting hypnotized and all these neat little things, man. But even the use of having fucking Philip Glass in this film, like I don't know him specifically from this film, but I know him from like Kuyoskatsi and just composing like these epic orchestral pieces. So nice. And he created this amazing atmosphere and this. Oh no, the soundtrack in this movie truly is rather fantastic. I mean, the score, the, the Candyman theme and everything is great all the way through. I sat there and I just sort of listened to the credits for a minute when it started to roll over the end yeah. and shit. The only one other thing in this segment is, like I said, during that time period, too, when this film premiered, some of our audience abroad might not be too familiar with it, but some here in the States would be, especially during that time period, was during, like, the L.A. riots, during the Rodney King incident and things like that. So its premiere, this film's premiere in L.A. was supposed to take place and that happened never during forget. that time period yeah never forget remember never forget it was october 16th 1992 never in the forget. states september 11th 1992 in toronto never forget but they had this fear that certain audiences especially in in la at the time were going to see this film as maybe being racial because of these these tones with it but that got completely wiped away because it kind of emboldened certain communities. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they actually had, when I say they, I don't mean to say it like that, but black communities, they had a their own version of a boogeyman, but it was a dignified boogeyman. It wasn't schlocky or could have been real hokey. No, and that's the thing. This isn't that hokey. It's No. There's weird little holes in it if you look really hard. No, but. even Tony Todd said, if you look at, anytime you look at Candyman when he's like standing up straight, so if you look at his arms, he's like, his arms are never the same length. He's no. like, <laughs> he's like, you know, there's an attachment, and that's how they created the hook and all that but stuff. But it overall doesn't really ever come off. No, it, that's how I feel. It comes like, off as serious. Even knowing that, it still doesn't affect the film whatsoever. Him setting her up is I, rather I like it was, rather ingenious. It was just, for me, I felt like it was a, almost a fairy tale in certain circumstances. Like there was a story interweaved into this horror film. The weird places she would black out. And the circumstances almost made her an unreliable narrator, too. Which sort yeah, of you couldn't really trust her. So she was giving you all these weird perspectives of, like, time and what was going on. Is this really happening? Or You can't trust her narrative. And I overall just really like this movie. I love it. I feel like this. I feel like if you want a story to make you think, something that you enjoy for the fact that it doesn't... It's not a typical slasher. Like, you're not going to see a body count. You're not going to see gore like we've seen in Dead Alive or Brain Dead. 
No. There's um, some good gore, though. Yeah, you're not going to see gratuitous nudity. There's a little um, bit of nudity, though. No, but it's a really clever story set in a setting that you normally wouldn't see. And it dignifies a class of people who would otherwise be undignified. Mm-hmm. Because they have been throughout the course of a lot of our history, United States history, that is. So, like, so without geeking too much out, there's a lot of topics that people should be aware of in this film. And it also sets up for the fact that we'll get the lesser version of it later on, because at some point we will cover Bones. We have yeah, yeah. <laughs> and probably Tales of the and stuff like that. But knowing me and, and knowing the fact that, like I said, I could ramble on a lot about this film, but I'm not going to. That's why we, we should say watch this film, enjoy it. Watch this movie. It's really good. I really like it. It started off a lifelong love of Tony Todd for me. So Yeah, and um, he's a great it does guy. the same for you. That's what, what I'm hoping. It? Yeah. With that, I guess we should... I guess. Oh, please keep Let following our us. Know. I beg you once again, and I we tell are you beggars. all the information. We are on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play. You can follow us on our website, www.friedsquirms.com, Twitter at Fried Squirms, Facebook, Fried Squirms, Instagram, Fried Squirms Podcast. Okay, yeah, we're you can there. email us, squirmcast at gmail.com. I think that's it. Yeah, it's like we mentioned this earlier in several of our other podcasts. I think that's a, a good way to start. You know, you can always Google search us. Well, I'm sure you'll find us there, Yahoo search, whatever. You'll find um, us. And as of yet, we don't know what we're doing yet next week. No, but we, we have uh, some things in the works as we keep hitting it. We're planning um, things. There's always something coming up. Sorry, we just, we're getting there. Shit's coming up. We're going to get there. But I love you. Yeah, we love you. We've got some exciting things, like Tyler was saying. I guess I'm in the excited. meantime. I'm excited. Yeah, we've, this is my excited voice. Yeah, me too. No, I just I feel like man we've we've chosen some some really strong films the last couple of times out and I'm excited to see what we have in store. Yeah, I'm uh, a few ways we could go with this. It's gonna be yeah. interesting, and hopefully some of the other shit's just timing. So once the timing works out, that's when some of it's gonna yeah. come to you. So, but in the meantime, do stay tuned because we have some exciting things in the works. Also, fried squirms out. out.